Welcome to Justice Losers, the podcast where we discuss entertainment media, namely movies, TVs, and comics. I'm your host, Preston, joined as always by my delightful co-host, Batman. Matt, what should people do? Like, subscribe, and tell a friend, and start a fight in the comments. Um, if I say something that is wrong or disagreeable, um, just know that you're wrong for thinking so. But fight me in the comments. And if you think I'm right and want to stick up for truth, justice, in the American way, then start a fight with the people who start a fight with me in the comments. And if you're just there to be contrarian, start a fight with everyone in the comments on whichever medium you're listening to. SoundCloud, YouTube, whatever. Matt! Preston. What you been up to? Things, mostly. Cool. Uh, I have not finished Watchmen, the 1985 comic, um, but I'm one issue away. Boy, can't imagine what it would be like to just read that for the first time in 1985 when superhero comics are kind of boring and bland and then... You're reading it, and you're reading along, and you're like, whoa, this is great. What's it all building up to? And then that final reveal at the end of the second last issue. I'm not some Republic serial villain, Dan. I wouldn't tell you my plan if there were any chance of you stopping it. I did it 35 minutes ago. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I got chills reading that for like the 12th time, and I've seen yeah. the movie four times or whatever. Yeah. I know what's going to happen. I can quote the, the lines, and boy... That's a cool moment. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Uh, I finished Annihilation, the book. Um, I feel like I read the ending better this time. Um, there's like, it's kind of all building up to a big climactic thing where the main character sees something for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time I read it, like they, they describe this thing. They spend like a page describing this thing. And it's like, description and then it's like but it's kind of always changing you can't quite pin down exactly what it looks like and i just kind of took that first description and stuck Mm -hmm. it in my head and so i was like kind of picturing it and it was like huh yeah it was a little anticlimactic the there's that that's a really interesting phenomenon that i i i experienced too when like reading a uh, the two times i've read a book and then uh that I cared about. Like I've read more right. books, but I was an infant and didn't care. Right. Uh, the two, t- the two books I've read. And then even through some comics when there's a mystery to it or like movies, something like that. Um, a good example of me with that is, uh, the sandworm in Dune mm. where I have this idea of it based on the trailer, which it doesn't have the three things. Right. And that's never mentioned in the book. I think that's something that's explicitly made from the 80, 80s movie. Mm-hmm. And then it made it into the drawings of the book. And so, like, whenever I see that, I'm like, that's why when on the Roku scroll, mm-hmm. the space one, there is this, the worm. And I was like, is that is that a sandworm? <laughs> is that Dune? And Andrew was like, yeah, that's Dune. That is not at all what I pictured. Yeah. And then the flip side with Dracula, I went into it consciously knowing that I should not know what, who the, who, what's going on. Right. And it made the book thoroughly more enjoyable than it would be if it was just like, ah, he's cold to the touch. I'm like, it's cause he's a vampire, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> it was genuinely just like, oh, what's, and it made it scarier, which was mm-hmm. the point of the book. Right. But yeah, no, that is a really interesting phenomenon. I want to see like, yeah. uh, what kind of, I might do a little prod on that. Mm-hmm. We'll see if we can get like that clip of us talking about that and see what other people experience with that kind of stuff. And that yeah. Could be a, 
maybe a discussion for a later for a later episode. Who knows? Or maybe I'm just bad at reading books. No. Start a fight in the comments about it. Yeah. Matt's just bad at life. You're not wrong. But yeah. So I read the scene and I kind of I feel like I got closer to what the author wanted mm-hmm. me to take from it and just a visual interpretation and it was a worked a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um Boy, it's a weird book though. It's like it's kind of slippery. Mm. Like there's a lot of facets to it and the character is like not an entirely reliable narrator. Um and there's clearly some thematic stuff going on under the surface, but like you can't there's no rough edges to grab onto. You can't quite grasp it. Yeah. It's a it's really interesting gripping reading, but it's it's just it's unsettling and it's was it do you think weird. it's intentionally unsettling? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um it's it's really well crafted um in that sense. Uh so I finished that and then I started reading Authority, which is the sequel. So it's a it's a trilogy, three books, Annihilation, mm-hmm. Authority, Acceptance. Um just to I I read Annihilation a while ago and was kind of like I like it but I don't get it and mm-hmm. I wasn't interested enough to read the sequels and I with the benefit of hindsight and maturation, it's 10 months later, but I'm a more mature version of me, I think. Sure, let's go with that. Yes. Um, <laughs> I decided, well, I'd, just, I'd probably read the sequels. I mean, I imagine that the trilogy is in some sense the author's original vision. I want to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. get what's going on with him. Um, and so I started Authority. And I'm really liking Authority. I'm not very far into it. but So basically... The premise of Annihilation is it's set from the perspective of a unnamed female biologist um, who's part of a team that goes into the mysterious Area X on unspecified marshy coastline. It's kind of supposed to be Florida, Louisiana, Gulf Coast area, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, probably. Maybe it's like Carolina's East Coast. Mm-hmm. Swampy marshland on the coast. Um, but basically, there's some sort of unspecified event that has happened there, and weird things are going on. And so she's part of a team, the 12th team, to go in and investigate, figure out what's going on. Weird stuff happens. I bet you five bucks they're going to figure out what's going on. Who's they? The 12th team, this main character. Not even slightly, as it turns out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Did they also die? Yes. Or not. Oh, you haven't gotten to it. I have. Oh. It's just vaguely unclear. Oh, so they like, that narrowed, that, that narrative comes to an end vague, like ambigu- ambiguously, and then it picks up somewhere else? Nope. You should probably read it for yourself. Uh, I might. It's pretty <laughs> interesting. a lot of other things to read. <laughs> yeah. So um, authority pulls back and is from the perspective of control, who is the newly instituted head of the Southern Reach, which is the shady government enclave that is. Oh, wait, did you say that that was the end of the first book? Yeah. Oh, I I heard authority at the beginning. So I thought you were talking about the that's the premise of this one. Uh, And I was confused because I was like, you haven't finished the book. How do you know how it ends? Now I understand. Got it. Okay. So there's an ambiguous end to the first book. Yes, sort of. Sort of. Yes. But okay, got it. Yeah. Um, So Authority is from the perspective of Control. He's the head of the shadowy government enclave called the Southern Reach that runs all the investigations into Area X um, that is sent in the the teams. Um, He comes in after the 12th team has been sent in. um, And basically the story picks up 
right after the end of Annihilation. Yeah. Um, and it's him just kind of trying to unravel the mystery. Um, and it's much less, hey, people exploring this weird environment and weird stuff's happening and much more. I'm going to interview people about weird things and interrogate them. And it's a little more grounded and a little more concrete. And I guess it's easier to grab onto. It's more answers, but each answer kind of brings more questions with it. So it's it's satisfying. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I'm barely into it, like 50 pages. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm really enjoying it. Cool. So we'll see Good. if the momentum continues and if it satisfies my interest and mm-hmm. deserves my love. Good. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. All right. So I finished Dracula. I think you mentioned that last week. I did. Which means the next step for me is to read through the thick stack of comics that I have accumulated while reading Dracula. Mm-hmm. I posted the picture on our Instagram. So you can go check out our Instagram and the uh, what you've been up to is it's the what At Justice Losers highlight. Pod. At Justice Losers Pod. Go check that out. That's where we post things. Um, in the what uh, I posted uh, my thick stack with some little aestheticism to it. A little candle and a little drink and a little picture in the background. It was a very nice picture, if I do say so myself. Um, they got a thumbs up from AK and from Andrew, who both do photography. So it's a thumb down for me. All right. That's all I needed. That's that's how I thrive. This is disapproval from you. Yep. Uh, so that thick ass stack. Almost done with it. Norman went through a, uh, Norman had an ice storm. In, Boy, did it. In uh, mid-late October, late October, definitely late October. It's yep. almost over. Yeah. In late October, which means there are still tree, still leaves in the trees. Yep. Which means that all the ice that attached to the trees just decided to bring down every tree in Norman. Yep. Um, it is a wasteland right now. It's kind of fun. Uh, and then today it was like a 55 degrees and and cloudless and it was glorious yep but yesterday was we've like parts of norman are still out of power yep um, my girlfriend's school is still out of power yep um like it was just so i was stuck at home because my office was out of power so i was working from home and when i work from home i tend to when waiting on emails to come back and i don't have anything else to do i go read comics mm-hmm. which i did a lot of yep and so i finally got to read Almost entirely through Mike Grell's Green Arrow run. Boy, is that a run. That is a run. There are nine volumes. Like, it's... There's nine volumes. It, he he does it until issue... The early 80s. From mm-hmm. zero to... Well, th- from one to the early 80s. Um, I think. 70... Like, around that range. Like, 70 to 80. Um, plus his three three issues so here's here's an explanation of what this arc is so green arrow was a character that was really goofy had all these gimmicky arrows and he was just kind of like a cheesy guy Mm -hmm. until about the um the silver age when things got really gloomy which is when the snowbirds don't fly which is his uh basically adopted son and ward and sidekick got addicted to heroin um as all good men should and they canceled the line, and I believe they canceled the line, and then basically in 1987, can you fact check me on that, when his line started? I think 1987 or 89, um, he, Mike Grell had this idea, and he's like, hey, I want to write a Green Arrow run, or I want to write something with Green Arrow. I want to write something with Green Arrow. 
And I got some ideas with it, but it needs to be on the mature line. 1987, he wrote the Longbow Hunters. Longbow Hunters. He's got, I, I got this idea called Longbow Hunters. It's three issues. I just want to, I'm going to do it all. He did, the, he did the writing, he did the drawing. And it was so good. And it was mature line. It was vertigo. Mm-hmm. So like there was gore and stuff. They were like, hey, you want to just do the normal line and we'll just stick it in the vertigo? So Green Arrow is like one of the only characters to just move to the vertigo line and then move back. Mm-hmm. Like most things like Hellblazer started in the vertigo. Swamp Thing started in... Oh, he didn't start in vertigo. He started in Mister House of Mystery. Right. His first line was in vertigo. Right. Um, no, that's not true either. Bronze Age Swamp Thing had a... He had a Swamp Thing run. Doesn't matter. Um... Basically, he started writing this stuff, and he took away all the gimmicky arrows, all the goofy, like, the the glove box, or boxing glove arrow, the the exploding arrows, like, all the, all the toy arrows, and just went right back to normal arrows. Mm-hmm. And what Mike Grell did is he stripped down every aspect of what makes Green Arrow, what makes Vigilantes, and what makes superheroes. Green Arrow's a green dude that arrows... And vigilantes are people that are vigilant, and superheroes are heroes that are super. There you go, Mike Grell. What you took 80 issues to do, I didn't. No, words. not 80 issues. So that's the thing. So he spent 60, 62 issues writing this, and it is so goddamn good. Like, I, I think you should read this, because it's okay. just, it's basically... Like, uh, I read the forward, uh, which is uh, Mike Grell and then the guy he had draw most of the most of this and was just like, what if Green Arrow had a midlife crisis? And okay. it just puts him against things that are real. It's mm-hmm. the stories that are told are stories that things that like that he goes through and there's so much shit that happens to him that it, it's just like it's so visceral to watch him just like crack under all of these things that happened to him. Mm-hmm. And then at issue number 63, they take it off the, uh, off the uh, mature audience line. And it, there's an immediate difference mm-hmm. because I think it, it's gotten to the end. It's he's still writing it, but I think it's gotten to the end of what he wanted to do with green arrow. Right. He's still only using normal arrows. He's still like, like this whole thing is kind of one of the main themes is should vigilantes kill mm-hmm. because he does kill but he doesn't like to mm-hmm. like he, he has done it. Like, like I think the first time that happens is like that uh, black and is being literally tortured in front of him. And he's like, just shoots the guy like mm-hmm. in the chest. Uh, and then he, nice. Mike Rell introduces shadow. Who's this other archer that just kills people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, he introduces his own mythos to green arrow. Okay. And it's all so good that I just could not put the book down. Like, you can see the way that he's introducing characters as a recurring character that just shows up naturally. There's another like enemy, like a, an arch enemy kind of guy that just shows up naturally, like when he would. No, archer no. enemy. Um, so everything's like natural. It feels so good and just like gory and makes you kind of just like question yourself when it comes to morality. And then like when it leaves the line, it moves from this like things that Ollie is going through. To things that Ollie is just kind of around for. Uh-huh. It goes back to just like the like things are happening and he's just the superhero that's there for it. Right. It has it really doesn't 
it, it goes back to that thing. I think I talked about it a while ago um, with uh, uh, one of the runs I read where I think it was um, uh, uh, Future's End, mm-hmm. where it doesn't matter what character you use. The story is not told in a way that the character, the main character itself plays a part. Mm-hmm. You could throw Batman in these stories and it wouldn't change the story. Well, you I mean, throw... it flipped the themes because he's a vigilante that likes to kill but doesn't. No, that's the thing. is All that stuff just kind of stops. I was saving that bit and you just kind of went right past it. Okay. What? Move on, do your thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you could put any character in this story and it wouldn't change the story at all. Yeah. Meanwhile, the previous 62 issues are green arrow it plays mm-hmm. to everything about the way he is he's one of the only characters <clears throat> he's one of the only characters that has a very long running relationship mm-hmm. and that plays into it mm-hmm. and like just them moving from star city to seattle makes it a lot more real um it's like the rain plays an aspect to it just nice. the, the feeling of being in a new place like it's it, there's this whole themes and there's like there's growing characters and then it just kind of stops when DC's like, we want it back. Yep. We like what you did, so we're going to put him back with Green Lantern. And it just kind of loses its heart. And Feels like there's a lesson in there somewhere. There is. No one to stop, DC. <laughs> you realize which DC you're talking to here. I do. And in the context of comics, at the moment, I think that they have figured it out. Because the, like, I mean, they have the stuff like Action Comics, Superman, Batman, Detective yeah. Comics, the ones running. They haven't had a Justice League line go more than, like, 16 issues. Hmm. Because they wait for someone who's got a good story to tell, tell the story, and they're done. Mm-hmm. So Brian Michael Bendis came on. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got his stuff, and then they, like, they've brought on a ton of just these great writers. And I think they're just, like, going, you know, this idea of the New 52, it, I think it came from the New 52, where they were like, we got all of these running issues that we're just going to tell all these stories. And it just, none of them really had any heart. Some of them were good. Some yeah. of them were great. Like Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just, uh, Scott Snyder's uh, Batman and stuff. But none of them, like, it didn't, DC as a whole just didn't feel like it was telling good stories. And I think with Rebirth, they were like, all right, we're going to stop, stop this need for constant running lines. Mm-hmm. We'll tell good stories. Yep. Um, and I can't wait to slog through the... I've started this journey of collecting all the New 52, and I'm going to finish it. I'm halfway through. I'm going to finish it, but then I cannot wait to get to the stuff where it's just like, I can pick and choose. Yeah. Um, it's going to be good. But yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, last night, I rewatched a due date. With, uh, what's his face? Zach Galifianakis and Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Pretty good. It's a six. It's... Yeah. It's not terrible. It's it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never really like made me laugh like hard. Um, but there are genuine like the characters are consistent, mm-hmm. which is not something I feel like you really get um, from comedies like this. They just kind of like the characters who they need them to be in any given moment to play the joke. Right. Um, but the but I mean, this is written by um, drawing a blank on his name. Joker. Todd Phillips. Todd Phillips. Written and directed by Todd Phillips. Who knows how to write characters, I guess. I need to go see Hangover. Um, I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah, I got a hair in my mouth. Uh, But no, the characters are consistent. And they have 
genuine growth. Mm-hmm. Like the the change that they have towards the end makes sense. Like okay. they're not. It's not so. Robert Downey Jr.'s character is a giant asshole architect, like rich guy, and then Sounds Zach Galifianakis is like a twenty three year old, um, uh, like just stupid idiot kid um, also sounds true for him and and like it's they he his wife is about to give birth and he gets on an airplane but zach galvanakis character the way it starts is basically zach's character just keeps making stupid idiot mistakes and ruining everything and it's just this mm-hmm. tragedy all the way and robert Downey jr's character never really makes a dumb mistake he's just kind of like what is being yanked along and it's kind of it plays to his character and then towards the end when it's like you would expect a lesser movie would go oh we're best friends now zach uh galvin Axe's character say zach's character is like well, if you ever want to get lunch call me and Danny jr's just like i'll email you <laughs> it's just like he's not he's totally not gonna call him like yeah. they're not friends yeah <laughs> Okay, but it's a, it's pretty it's pretty uh, it's a seven six to seven. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I think that's it. All right. I wrote a poem. I forgot about it. You wrote a poem? Yeah, it's a short poem. I'm gonna read it live on air. This is uh, the first ever recitation of this untitled poem. Well, you're wrong twice on that. It's not live and it's not on air. <laughs> <laughs> it's an untitled poem. Um, it's my impressions waking up very early this morning. Okay. I feel like this is going to be a joke and it's going to be a it's, terrible It's joke. not. It's actually, oh, okay. I, I put some, some thought into it. Cold, the grim pre-dawn. Trees cut black against the light polluted clouds. Thrusts of wind send ice-bent branches snapping. Exultant power lines indulge in firecracker glories pink and blue. I gather kindling. Yeah. Yeah. Make that money. <laughs> Is that what that's about? Is that like the like the I gather kindling? Is that no? That's what I choose to think that it's about. Your interpretation is wrong, and you're dumb for thinking it. I'll start a fight in the comments. <laughs> Tell me what was my poem about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, news, news. Not a whole lot of news this week. Oh, and I cannot. By the way, I cannot wait to read the next couple of comics. The next couple of comics are Gideon Falls by Jeff Lemire and Andreas Sorrentino and Criminal. With Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Two of my favorite pairs. And I'm so ready to read those. thought your favorite pair was Preston and Batman. No. Well, balls. Uh, Let's see. Slow news week. Um, No Time to Die is losing a million dollars every month. um, Which sounds like a lot until you realize it probably costs $200 million. Losing a million dollars a month? Is that just their... It's interest payments on money they had to borrow to get it produced. Oh. Yeah. Um, There's a trailer for Midnight Sky, which I watched 20 minutes ago. Kind of looks terrible. Um, You know, the thing with trailers is really with any movie, you can tell how good the movie's going to be by the quality of the writing in the trailer. Almost always. And there are some... I maintain that the 355 is going to be a fantastic movie. This feels uh, contradictory to your, like, seven-text-long rant you sent me. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Oscar Isaac has been cast as Moon Knight. Yeah. Which is, uh, don't know anything about Moon Knight, but I like Oscar Isaac. 
Marvel's doing the thing. I feel like Marvel's just being an asshole to DC right now with announcing things because we all they we have faith that Marvel's going to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And DC, like every time DC announces a movie they're going to do, Marvel announces a show they're going to do. Except Marvel's actually going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like Marvel's like, oh, cool. They announced what was the one they announced recently? Oh, the the HBO Max show, the Green Arrow or Lantern show. Oh, they announced oh, another yeah. show. Moon Knight. Bring out Moon Knight. <laughs> Green light, Moon Knight. Moon, Moon Knight. Green light, Moon Knight. Green, yeah, there we go. Green light, Moon Knight. That's a, try saying that ten times fast in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Shang-Chi has completed filming. Zero positive COVID tests across the course of their production. Wow. Because anyone that came into contact, Disney dragged away to a back lot and shot in the back of the head. <laughs> we will not stop production they went through 18 pas <laughs> yep all right uh that's that's it what i got for news um probably there was a spider-man news wasn't there spider-man news there was someone oh um no i can't remember because we talked about dr strange being brought in yeah spider-man tom holland spider-man 3 likely bringing back an important collaborator Who's that? Uh, that's a, I think that's... I think uh, I mixed up that with something else. Michael Giacchino? Spider-Man 3 star Jacob Batalon arrives on set with a new look. I don't care enough open nope. the link. Uh, let's move on. Uh, let's move on. Yeah. Mike Grell can leave. He wrote and illustrated a comic based on one of Timothy Dalton's Bond movies. Yeah, his... Uh, um. His inspiration comes from like detective or like spy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I like it. He's he hasn't done a whole lot. I immediately after reading this line, I was like, I want to read everything he's ever done. I hasn't done a ton. Yeah. Bummer. Weird. Weird. Wonder what the story is with that. Mike Grell, tell us. What's he got the deal? into it. He got into it when he was old. Uh, so he's, he's like ninety or something right now. Oh. I don't think that's true. I think he's like seventy. I just had him pulled up. I'm not going to bother going back to figure it out. Can't wait till we get another uh, camcorder so I can have my phone back. Yep. <laughs> All right. All right. Matt, why are you over there? Because there's popcorn over here. Why is there popcorn over there? I don't know, but it's tasty. I think we've set a dangerous precedent by making the set dressing edible because if I have something in front of me that I can eat or drink, I kind of can't contain myself i have very poor impulse control and popcorn is tasty you should get better impulse control i should all right i've decided i'm gonna have better impulse control i'm almost out of my apple cider so let's wrap this shit up (laughs) all right so as people may remember before our spooky october spectacular poopy (laughs) axe <laughs> that's probably a that was, that was a bit of a spooky, Freudian, but I guess the S just decided to not come. Bit of along. a bit of a Freudian slip there, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we talked about horror movies for a month, but you may remember back before that. I don't remember which episode number it was. It's probably like fifty, uh, forty-eight, give or take, forty-eight or forty-nine, right before the one fifty. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the movie theater experience and kind of how it's come to develop into the form it is. Yeah. And why popcorn has played such an integral role. And I'm going to have good impulse control. So what do we decide was the, uh, the thesis, Matt? Uh, I remember it. 
Uh, we like going to movie theaters because it's a sort of a shared dream experience. I don't remember. We had better. Close enough. Yeah. We're better phrasing. But... I was making sure you got to the shared dream part. That was pretty much the. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was kind of the cool. I, I I liked that one. That was a it was a solid episode. So this week we're doing kind of a uh, follow up to that. We're talking about. Um, well, we should before we get into it, give a shout out to who gave us the idea. Yeah. Carter. Who gave us the Carter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well this is the first episode that is an actual is like a solid episode idea that we we asked mm-hmm. on instagram what we should talk about yeah and we got several comments yep some very in vain with what we'd usually talk about and some no, we're, off we're not talking about cold cases that were recently reopened but we have an episode idea that kind of came from that comment actually a series of episodes in some sense in some sense, well, <laughs> but uh, no, this is one of the first episodes we uh, we would like to actually like. We would actually like to talk about the episodes that people would like to hear us yeah. talk about. Interact with us, fans. Yeah. We'll interact back. Yeah, literally, so, we had I think like seven comments, several with multiple ideas in it, mm-hmm. and we took I think every single one to some capacity. Yeah, we like some of the ideas. We just need to find a way to actually apply it. Right. Like female directors. We're going to do an episode on female directors. We've been talking about doing that for a long time. Yep. But we need to find a better way than just listing female directors and saying what movies they did. Boy, that, that sounds... Patty Jenkins gal, she's pretty great, huh? Yep. Next one. What about that? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Jodie Foster. I don't know. Uh, Starts with a G. Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. Yeah. There we go. She's cool. Noah Baumbach. Yeah, I like both of them a lot. That's a that's a fun combo. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the true Hollywood power that combo. Is, right that there. was the power combo. Oh, anyway, that's not what the movie not the movie we're, we're talking about. about. We're talking about uh, look at my bat socks. We're talking about socks. Socks today. We're talking about socks and how they apply to movies. I'm not wearing any socks. Ah, you failed. Hope it's in frame. We should do an episode on costume design, like how costume design actually goes. And this is how well, this is how we come up with episodes, by the way. Yeah, I make some stupid joke about socks and movies, and it actually sp- spurs a yeah a good episode topic. Our, I have a I have a bobble in my mouth. There we go. Yeah, our brains are basically constantly on trying to pick up episode ideas just from the ether around us. That's yep. how we keep this going. That's how we've kept it going for three and a half years. <laughs> three and a half years. It's too long. And we have four listeners. <laughs> <laughs> absolute worst listener to episodes ratio (laughs) in the history of podcasts let's fix that go us so matt what are we talking about so we're talking about we're doing kind of a follow-up talking about sort of the gimmicky extras that movies and movie theaters have employed to try to draw in customers since the very dawn of time yeah that's or at least the 1830s there we go (laughs) So gimmicks. So, so what do you gimmicks. mean by gimmicks? All right. I have a whole list of a few gimmicks here. So 3D is kind of a big one. Yeah. Um, IMAX. Mm-hmm. 4D. Mm-hmm. Psychorama. Huh? Sensoround. Polyvision. Smellivision. What was the one right before Smellivision? Polyvision. Polyvision. I've not heard the penultimate three. Yeah. There are some interesting little ones that were applied for like two movies. There's actually kind of a decent list on Wikipedia of... Um, theater gimmicks, I think, is the. Page so are we just reading from Wikipedia? No, we're okay. not. I'm using this as a jumping off point. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So most of these you haven't heard of. The ones you have of, you're like, that's a gimmick. Yeah. For nearly all of them. Yeah. IMAX is the exception. 
So I, I think kind of. The- I would maintain that IMAX was not a was not a gimmick until Tenet made it a gimmick because it's the only way you can watch Tenet. <laughs> it is. Yeah, have you not heard about all that? Like, if you try to watch in a standard theater, it, they didn't remix the sound for like standard Dolby, and so you just uh, can't understand what people are saying. I couldn't understand what people were saying. In IMAX. It's way worse than normal theaters, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll get the DVD and watch it with subtitles, and it'll it'll be okay. Will you though, or will you like watch it when it comes up on HBO Max, inevitably within like a few months? Yeah, probably that. <laughs> anyway, most of these gimmicks are—I mean, they're just that—they're gimmicks. They're yeah. things that are used a little bit. Three D, three D, has had its its ups and downs, its waves of popularity. A lot of these they kind of popped up for a few movies at one point, and then just disappeared. They didn't work. They didn't add anything to the movie-going experience. So my big question for today that Preston's going to answer right now on the spot, why didn't, why, why not? Why, why not they? <laughs> <laughs> why not they? Because uh, they're expensive to make. You know, that's, uh, that's probably a good point. That's, I think that's genuinely the reason they didn't stick around. It's, it's a part of it. Well, let me, let me go over a few of these. Okay. Um, let me start with some of these uh, lesser known ones, the, the ones you don't know. Yeah. Um, so psychorama is just a fancy word for subliminal images. Like they'll put oh. in like a, just a single frame. Um, so it was introduced in a movie called My World Dies Screaming in 1958. Apparently a pretty terrible movie. It's the only thing of note. That's going to be a common theme today. Good. But it was used in movies like The Exorcist and Fight Club. Right. I didn't know about Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where if you can, if you're paying attention for one thing, it's actually explicitly referenced in the dialogue. One of the characters was at one point a, um, like a theater operator person mm-hmm. and he'd get bored. And so he'd splice in still frame, like single frames of hardcore pornography into uh, like kids movies. Yeah. He's a monster. Yeah. That's fun. Um, Fight so him. then yeah. club him. Yes. Uh, and so then he's spliced in and then, at one point near the end of the movie, there's a single frame of hardcore pornography. Some oh, in, in, in yeah. Fight Club? Yeah. Well, because they, the, they did the frames of... Uh... They do frames of Tyler Durden, Brad Pitt's character, yeah. just interspersed every now and then. They'll just, it'll flash yeah. early in the movie. Um, I didn't know that part. I didn't know the yeah. important part of the end. Yeah. That sounds delightful. And now I'm going to go watch Fight Club for that frame. Mm-hmm. You haven't seen Fight Club, have you? No. Do you know anything about Fight Club? I know you're not supposed to talk about Fight Club, so we should stop I'm going to stop talking about, talking Fight, about Club. Fight Club. Uh, sense Around. Sense Around is basically... How is it? Is it Sensor... Sense? S-E-N Surround. Okay. Sen Surround, I see. Yes, but all one word. Okay. Um, so this was, uh, I'd say, a big thing in the 70s, but it was in like six movies. Um, basically, what they would do is they would add like an extra layer of big loud low frequency sound in high intensity moments for like explosions or earthquakes mm. first movie that did it was 1974's earthquake just to you know get you in the experience more bigger louder more noises yeah yeah that's, that's how we've, we've decided that movies are the best when they just go bigger and bigger and harder yep thanks star wars jj abrams uh, polyvision uh this one can i don't know why i included this one on the list uh, i was only used in one movie ever 1927's napoleon 
Uh, it's kind of cool though. It uses three projectors simultaneously. So it has a really wide screen uh-huh. with like three frames. And so they can either do one really big wide shot if they shot on three cameras simultaneously, or they can do split screen. Huh. Apparently it's kind of a nightmare to actually yeah. put on the, on the screen, but there's a thing for one movie in 1927 and then never again. How do we watch that? How to watch? It's not looking up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, not watching. Okay. Uh, now for some of the ones that people might have heard of. So 4D, as it turns out, is not actually an official term at all. It's just an overarching thing for there's some sort of added layer to the experience. Mm-hmm. So sense around could technically be the fourth dimension. Um, Smell of vision and other added aromas in the movie could be four dimension um there are like specially designed 4d theaters that'll do like um smoke machine or uh like lightning effects or something I, like uh, that i can't remember what where we were but i went to a 4d movie about like i think it was the haunted lighthouse mm-hmm. and did robert pattinson masturbate on you no <laughs> i wish i got wet Okay. And I felt something whacking on my feet. Okay. That those were two actual things that happened. There was one what? there's three things that happened. One was you got a puff of air on your face from a thing that was in the chair mm-hmm. in front of you. Uh there were rats that went across uh the floor no, the the floor in this in this movie mm-hmm. and they had little rubber like penises oh, yeah. that would like flail and hit you in the feet. And that um. scared the living shit out of me um ticklers yeah it's the technical term really apparently <laughs> they were not tickling <laughs> uh and then there was a uh a, a sword fist fist swordfish swordfish that uh like on the wall that like turned and sprayed water mm-hmm. and we got all got all got blasted in the face nice and that hit me in the eye i had a bad experience in that movie <laughs> i guess that was actually i went to a 4d movie too um at disney world when i was about 10 it was like a Lilo and Stitch. Lilo? Lilo? Lalo. Lolo. And Stitch. Lola. Lola and Stitch. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds accurate. Uh, Yeah, and like, um, there was a... There's definitely a part where Stitch is like running behind the seats and you kind of feel the the air machine or the ticklers Mm. or whatever tickling your feet. And then there's part where um, kind of the conceit of is that he gets loose in Disney World and is just running around the the theater wreaking havoc there's some point where he eats a corn dog and burps and they pipe in the smell oh <laughs> i remember not being too impressed with that yeah <laughs> uh just like the you know there's seat vibrations and kind of like they'll blow wind on you at some yeah. point and stuff like that but um yeah just those little added experiential layers that's 4d technically i think there's something to 4d but it's it's far away because i mean yeah. I, like you need to do it so that you, it doesn't like the ticklers would work if you didn't immediately acknowledge the fact that they were just little rubber like lengths mm-hmm. like little lengths of rubber just beating the shit out of your ankles yeah like the, they would work it needs to be almost liminal right. or like you don't know so like a smell if it was really subtle could work really well if they mm-hmm. just piped in the smell but it was really subtle like you were like in a like maybe in a kitchen or like in a bakery and they just piped in like it would just really bring you in if it was subtle 
Mm-hmm. Not just like blasting you in the face with like Febreze that smells like it. But like if it was just if maybe they like kind of put it in there right before you needed a smell. So it gave a chance to like mm-hmm. kind of hit. Um, and maybe like uh, like chair vibrations if they're subtle. Because mm-hmm. that's something with uh, game controllers. Yeah. The, the, like, the reason vibrations have been in them since like two generations ago is because they add something design. to it. Huh? I thought that was shoddy design. What? Having the vibrators? Two of them. Yeah. Two vibrators. Yeah. Oh. Save money. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, they, they would, like, it, it adds something. It adds an element of, like, tension because it's uncomfortable. Like, if you mm-hmm. get hit. And also, it just notifies you. It's, like, another notification yeah. thing. Um, cool. But but there's something to it, I think, that, like, if, like, mm-hmm. if it does something to you really subtly that kind of, like, it pushes the... um pushes the feeling so maybe like if there's something that's supposed to make you feel on edge like the chairs actually kind of sit up a little more so you're not relaxed you're kind of sitting straight up Mm -hmm. like just stuff like that like tiny little details i think there's something to it i think you're onto something there Uh, i want to circle back to that at some point because i want to talk about smell a vision smell a vision (laughs) (laughs) i really breezed past it on my episode because i just don't want to acknowledge the fact that that happened it did uh there's actually like three or four different iterations of adding scents to movies. Um, so as far back as like the twenties theaters were like, Hey, let's just uh, pump in some sort of specially scented perfume or something for like this mm-hmm. scene. And it'll kind of match up with the, the emotions of the scene. Yeah. Um, turns out that's really impractical to do. Um, you can basically do one scent that way because human nose is really bad at processing one scent and then, and then a new one yeah, and forgetting about the old no one. There's no palate cleanser for the nose. Yeah. It's like, unless you're going to put something Wasabi really... swabs. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that would be the worst. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so that, that didn't really work. Um, Disney actually was exploring the idea with the original Fantasia, uh, which came out in like 1940. Yeah. Um, they decided it was too expensive and impractical. So the actual smell-o-vision thing um, was attached to a movie called Scent of Mystery, of course. Good. Um, it's basically a mystery comedy. Um, at some points, it relies on uh, there's a character who's identified by it smelling like tobacco smoke, and so they um, include the smell. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the mechanics actually of it are actually pretty impressive. Um, so instead of just like pumping in perfume, um, what they have is they have like a motorized belt basically with perfume patches on it and it's tied or like linked to the reel and so when the reel cues it it punctures the the correct thing um the correct like perfume pouch and then ventilates it through there's like a ventilation system that sends up just a little bit through everyone's seat there's like a little vent right there really expensive to implement but apparently it kind of worked yeah movie was allegedly terrible yeah but you know the 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 design sort of worked um around the same time there's a competitor who came up with aroma rama um that's a scratch off things isn't it no oh aroma rama was just hey let's uh use the ac and uh pump in the smells that'll be good that's bad for the system yeah <laughs> uh it wasn't so good odorama, odorama is the little scratch and sniff cards um we started using that in like the 80s a little so bit so that would be like it was a little card that had like little scratch and sniffs with a number next to it and then yeah. it would say when the number displays on the screen snap scratch it 
Which, like, nothing more pulls you out of a in the the immersion of a movie mm-hmm. than having to do something to experience the f***ing movie. Yeah, that was that was one of the complaints about the original smell vision too. Uh, was the it makes a hissing noise when the actual scent comes oh, out, yeah. and so it takes you out of it. Yeah, and I think in general smells probably do take you out of it a little bit. Um, that's why I said like that's why I was talking really heavily about subtle. Yeah, well, like you don't noticed it it's something like um i I mean it's it's just you just kind of have to smell it naturally like when you walk into a into a bakery Mm -hmm. you don't get shot in the face with a febreze of the smell of the bakery like it that's just clearly i have been going to the wrong bakeries (laughs) they're just like look we we can't make our bread smell like fresh baked bread for some reason so we just have these little febreze things that you walk in and we just blast you in the nose with it yeah like right up the nose yep right up the smeller yep Moving on. That's why I carry a pocket case of wasabi swabs. Good. Wasabi swabs. A justice loser's patent. Hey, we learned about wasabi at the uh, bachelor party that yeah. real true wasabi can't be eaten after, what, like... An hour or an something. hour? No, he said, like, minutes. It was like the true taste goes away hour. after seven minutes of... It was an hour. Was it an hour? Pretty sure. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I went go-karting this week. That's the what you've been up to I was going to mention that I forgot about. Yeah, you did. It was fun. Oh, I also read Batman Ego, and I... It was good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yeah, Smell-O-Vision. That was the thing. Uh, Kind of the two big ones, the ones that have endured in some sense, are 3D and IMAX. Yeah. Um, I hate to do this, but I also kind of like to do this. Uh, According to the esteemed institution, which is Wikipedia, quote... The basic components of 3D film were introduced separately between which two years? It's a six-year span. Guess. Uh, 1957 and 1963. 1833 and 1839. Oh, tits. You are off by a lot. You lose, sir. I bet you weren't expecting a trivia episode. Don't worry, there's going to be more questions. Is there? There's like one more. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not super interested in the development of it. There's um, the stereoscope, you know, like the Viewmaster toy where yeah. you put in the little card? That's a stereoscope. Yeah. You have this complicated apparatus that lets you view something in sort of three dimensions. Um, the red and blue glasses, kind of the classic image of the 3D, is yeah. something called the anaglyph. Um, not an anal gif. That's something different. Um the <laughs> I feel like I just got punched in the face with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even plan that. That was for the moment. <laughs> Good. Uh, the basic mechanism of the, the anaglyph is pretty simple. I mean, a lot of people kind of realize how this works. You have your glasses. One has a red lens. One has a blue lens. The image um, is like slightly offset. One is red. One is blue. And so your eye is getting one copy of the image mm-hmm. and it gives that depth perception i mean that's really where your your sense of three-dimensional depth perception comes from in Mm -hmm. real life is your eyes are set slightly apart and so you're getting two different images and your brain smushes them together yeah it's pretty cool there's an xkcd about it cool Uh, (laughs) yeah um nowadays it uses uh polarized lenses which is why they don't have the little red and blue panels anymore Mm -hmm. um tends to be much more expensive much more effective at preserving the actual color palette for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
so the first commercially viable films in the in 3D were actually in the 1950s. Um, there's some famous classic images of people, and they've just all got the the doofy yeah. glasses on, and they're um, watching movies. Uh, the first one was a movie called Buana Devil, which was um, apparently pretty bad. It's about lions that ate people. Fun. Yeah, good stuff. Um, this kind of the, the, the first foray lasted about two years. People were all excited about it. It was a big fad, and then it kind of died off. Um, there were a lot of logistical impracticabilities. Impracticable? Is that a word? Impractical. Impract- impracticalities. Impracticalities. There it is. I know words. I'm Nailed good it. at words. I can do words. Thank you for the words, sir. I appreciated yes. the words. Um, yeah, so the problem was they hadn't figured out how to do just one frame with the, the layering of the images. They had to project two simultaneously, mm. which means if they desynchronized by one single frame, oh boy, everyone in the theater's got a headache. Everyone's going to vomit. <laughs> yeah, it got real bad real quick. Um, so a lot of the original reviews of 3D movies are like, yeah, cool idea, but I threw up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, some some people did. Use, Hitchcock actually had a movie that was released originally in 3d and 2d like Mm. um at that point the studio had a a deal where they had to release it at both simultaneously but um dial m for murder was originally released in 3d Mm. which is it's kind of i mean it's a hitchcock noir i don't get i why would that add to it i don't understand like vertigo i guess i understand the birds you got a bird flying here but dial m for murder like the phone is you see the phone come to your head, except the thing that I've always not, I've always hated about, um, 3d is it really makes the edges of this, of the screen prominent because you're like, Oh, that thing's coming at me. Where did their left arm go? Yeah. Like it, it really makes that prominent because like when you're watching a movie, you kind of, your brain ignores the edges because you focus on, the uh, on the movie but like mm-hmm. i don't know it was that always stuck out to me when things 3d things would leave the screen mm-hmm. and i was just like that was weird yeah like it's like watching have you ever seen the video of the guy who um uh he uh simulated the fourth dimension i've seen simulated videos of the fourth dimension so he like he kind of did a thing where like there were like shapes in a little box and they would mm-hmm. like roll around and kind of disappear and come back and stuff like that. And that was really cool and that made things explain explain things to me. Mm-hmm. Not like that, or just like it just disappeared into nothingness. It's like yeah. oh my god, that's the four. This is four D. It's a four D movie. <laughs> yeah, um, there's kind of that. I guess the it does. There are moments where it can take you out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean it. it didn't take people long to realize okay we can actually we can smush these together in one frame and it um they didn't it never really got popular again it was kind of always there um Mm -hmm. like jaws 3d was designed as 3d um the third friday the 13th movie was designed as 3d um despicable me was designed as 3d (laughs) um what was i talking about 3d Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and I really threw you off your rhythm. Yeah, sure did. Good. Um, yeah, and then they came up with actual shooting on cameras that are designed for 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, Avatar was not the first movie to do that, but it was probably the most prominent. Um, it also had a ridiculous share of its box office from 3D because they invested so much time and energy in doing the 3D right. Yeah. 
um, and because it was marketed as a as a visual movie. Um, a typical movie. Um, so I have actually in front of me uh, the top ten 3D releases in the UK and Republic of Ireland from 2017. I'm only interested because the 3D percentage box office of total 3D, the the percentage of the box office which came from 3D showings. What? Huh? Star Wars: The Last Jedi came out in 2017. Um, made XYZ amount of money. Um, made 22% of its box office gross from 3D. Okay, that's pretty true to form. The uh, the 3D market over the past 10 years has been anywhere between like 12 and 20% of box office receipts Mm -hmm. avatar made something like 80 percent of its box office receipts from 3d because james cameron said hey this is kind of cool let's do it right yeah um and he used motion capture in some new and exciting ways he also this is completely unrelated but i think it's kind of cool he came up with a thing called a virtual camera for motion capture where basically you get like a real-time picture of both the real and the digital elements in a shot and so you can direct the cgi and direct your actors around the cgi mm-hmm. that exists and he was he was pretty excited about that yeah so cool good stuff yeah and then 3D... not a fantastic movie but made some cool things yeah and then everyone tried to copy it um avatar the last airbender for example which they took the basically the normally shot movie and reconverted it to 3d to try to capitalize and that's why it was so terrible that's why. Yes. I understand now. We have found the reason why Avatar The Last Airbender, the movie by M. Night Shyamalan, was bad. Yep. It's because of a shameless attempt to capitalize on the success of the other movie by the same name by doing a post facto re. What's the word? Reconversion to 3D. They really did all the dirty in that one. And. Soka. What? You haven't seen the movie at all, have you? Oh. That's how they pronounce those names. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. What else? IMAX. IMAX is the other big one. Yes. Um. So, basically, the big thing with IMAX is that it's big. It's big. It's, it's very just big. a bigger version of the movie. Yeah. Bigger and louder. Yeah. But there's some actual cool kind of sciencey stuff going on there. So... Okay. What do you mean by IMAX? Do you mean the IMAX is in the Warren or do you mean the IMAX that's in like I think the Georgia Aquarium where it's a dome? Oh, that's like the the Omnimax, yeah. the the dome. That's a that different shit thing. was cool. That is cool. It's different. The IMAX at the Warren is also substantially different from just the regular theater screens. Oh, okay. Um so typical movies are shot on 35mm film. Miss movies. It was always fun. As exhausting as it was to do reviews at like 1030 at night and mm-hmm. get home late, we still watched a lot of good movies and I still liked the experience. Yeah. What's the most recent movie we watched? Tenet. New Oh, yeah. But we watched New Mutants a week before that. Yeah. So. Anyway. Anyway. IMAX. IMAX. So typical ordinary film is shot on 35 millimeter film, which is just kind of the normal size. Mm-hmm. IMAX film is filmed on 70 millimeter film and it's run horizontally through the projector. Um, I don't know exactly how the geometry of that all works out, but it turns out you get nine times the area per frame of film, mm. which means you get much higher resolution images, which is pretty cool. 
It's super clunky to do because you have to have a projector that can run the film sideways and you have Mm -hmm. to have a big enough screen to do it. But if you can do it, it looks really cool and it works really well. Mm -hmm. And as an added bonus, do you know why it's so loud? I mean, partly they just crank it up, but partly the screen is so much bigger that they can fit an extra speaker on top behind the screen. Oh. So normally there's like kind of speakers on the side and one speaker just in the middle of the screen. Mm Mm-hmm. And with IMAX, it's so big that they can put another one up top, oh. top of the screen. So just another, just another, another speaker. Also, since with IMAX, so much of the film is devoted to just the image, they have to do the sound separately and then add it in after. Okay. Cool. Yeah. You know what the resolution is of IMAX? Very high. Is it? I don't know. You don't know? I'm not that interested in the technical side. Oh. but Well, the reason I'm asking is because like 4K tvs are a thing now Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering like how far away imax is like if it's still just like this unachievable thing that you can only get when you're watching an imax or if it's 8k so like the next evolution of tvs is just going to be able to do imax resolution Mm -hmm. well i mean someone knows someone knows (laughs) not us apparently yep (laughs) we don't know anything let us know in the comments uh yeah so they I mean, they were trying to do this as early as like the late 20s they mm-hmm. were trying to get large film yeah just to get that higher resolution image um they kind of experimented through the early parts of the decade um imax proper as an actual brand name uh really came into being in 1967 here's pop quiz question number two what does uh, imax stand for international house of pancakes <laughs> <laughs> good answer trick question it doesn't stand for anything it's, kind of figured honestly yeah it's uh um they it was originally called something stupid like uh multi-screen viewing or something and their lawyers told them they couldn't trademark it because it was descriptive it had to be something like coca-cola or kleenex where it's a, a name uh, unto itself yeah. and so um they got together at i think a tim hortons they're in canada um and just spent an hour writing out a hundred different product names and they liked IMAX the best because it kind of takes that idea of maximum image, but it's short and catching to the point. IMAX. Like EYE Max. That's for the audio listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. Um, Because it is more difficult logistically to produce and more difficult logistically to display, Ridland didn't do very much with it. It was really only short films until like the 90s. Um, Fantasia 2000 actually was one of the first feature length uh, IMAX movies. Thanks, Disney. What was the original Fantasia? Like 1940. Okay. We covered that earlier. I didn't know. I don't think you said the year. I did. I don't pay attention to you. I know. Um, And then in the, the early to mid aughts, they started... Um, a lot of blockbusters would start shooting some sequences in IMAX. So Dark Knight was actually one of the first ones to do it. Um, it's mm-hmm. got just under 30 minutes is actually shot on IMAX. Um, Which 30 minutes? Some of the exciting ones. All right. That narrows it down, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol has about 30 minutes. That's not good. That's not good. Always hated that line. I liked it when I was 12. Well, I always hate it because, like, the, he puts the inflection on the wrong thing. Like, I feel like it'd be like, I mean, helicopter's going down. You're like, that's not good. And it continues to really go down. And you're like, that's really not good. But it's like, well, the way he puts it on not means that it implies the first sentence he said was like, that's good. <laughs> that's not good. 
No, it doesn't. It does. No. Yeah. It makes no sense to he's me. He's like, that's not good. And then he's doubling down. That's not good. But you accented good as well. He's like, that's not good. All right, you know what? I'm pulling up the clip. We're having this out right here, right now. <laughs> Kidding. He go- no, he literally goes, that's not good. Okay, that's not good. Like, he says, okay, that's not good. And it's such, like, a weird thing. that Because like, it would make more sense if you're like, that's good. Okay, that's not good. Your overly specific reading of that bit of dialogue is wrong it and kills stupid. Me every single time. That's why it's only a nine for you. No, it's a ten. It is? No, it's a nine. Ha. Uh, Dunkirk was shot almost entirely in IMAX. Um, Infinity War and Endgame are the first actual blockbusters to be shot entirely in IMAX. Oh. Which is, thanks, Disney. Shit. Yeah. Good stuff done. Yeah. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Um, one of the big downsides is if you actually shoot with an IMAX camera, they're super big and clunky and kind of noisy and cost a lot of money. Christopher Nolan broke one once. <laughs> it's like $250,000. <laughs> Good. Sounds like the sort of thing he'd do. I think he crashed a truck into it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I've got this extra IMAX camera. You want to blow it up? He didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> well, yeah, but I feel like he, at this point, Warner Media would just be like, Here's $8 million for you to just buy things to blow up. Yeah. I'd watch it. Christopher Nolan blows things up. A weekly web show. I would so buy that. <laughs> um, but the cameras are so noisy that they have to film the dialogue separately and then redub it most of the time. Mm. So, All right. So that's a, that's a whole lot of gimmicks there. Yeah, it is. Most of those are either stupid gimmicks or you haven't even heard of them. Yep. Why? Because they didn't last long. Why? They didn't work, they were expensive, and didn't add anything to it. And obviously there were complaints about it. It's true. There were complaints about 3D. And their IMAX didn't work the first time they tried it. Hmm. So why did IMAX work, but... Or why did, like, 3D continue to get why developed? Did th- why did 3D sort of survive? People still do kind of see it as a gimmick, but people still go see 3D movies. I think it's because it it's the easiest and cheapest and most immersive edition what do you mean most immersive because it's a visual medium Mm -hmm. so you're capitalizing on something that people are already there to experience right so if you just kind of accent that Mm -hmm. then like okay it's like music yeah like when you're listening to music people do like the visual stuff like music videos or thing but like what people really like is headphones that just have better sound Right. Because it's an audio medium, so you want a better you want to experience the audio part more. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to a movie, you want to experience the the video more right. because it is video. And that's just something that adds a, a dimension to mm-hmm. the video, the watching experience. Yeah. And it's it's probably also just cheaper and easier to implement than the smell of vision like the ones that worked the it's best. True. Um, so they're just like, I mean, best of both worlds, let's just abandon the smelling shit and just go for like, let's get this thing will, will work yeah. because like the people are like, that's an interesting idea. Like I would watch it more. Maybe like it just, maybe the world was a little bit more receptive to it mm-hmm. because just by nature, it just, mm-hmm. it, um, it emphasizes and that's the word I'm looking for accentuates accentuates yeah i guess accentuates like it accentuates what they're going for yeah um yeah i think i think you're onto something there um a lot of these i'm on a lot of things oh on to something oh right 
I I think a lot of the the, the problems with these the smell vision the 4D and some of the a lot of the even the other ones is that they're trying to add an extra layer. Yeah. Um, they're adding something else, and that's going to generally take you out of the experience. Yeah. Um, you're going to end up having the problem of, oh, okay, now I'm experiencing the sound. Like, would you rather have... So from a steak, you've got a steak. Okay. Would you rather add a vegetable on top of it that makes it, that, that kind of goes with it? Mm-hmm. Or would you have rather have... A juicier steak. Would you rather have an eight, uh, a seven out of ten steak with a six out of with a uh, three out of ten vegetable or a ten out of ten steak? Vegetable. I want to be healthy. If, no, you don't. Why do your analogies always go back to food? Because I like food. <laughs> yeah. I'm also hungry right now. Yeah. No, I, I I take your point exactly. And I think I think a lot of the problem with some of these extra dimensional ones is we're just nowhere near immersive enough with them yet. I think mm-hmm. I, I take your point about subtlety and I think that's just kind of going to be a band-aid fix until we can do really good VR movies yeah. where you can get that extra layer of experience. Cause like you're watching a movie, there's a constant visual landscape. Mm-hmm. There's a constant soundscape. There's not a constant olfactory landscape. Yeah. If you try to introduce smell, it has to be constantly present. It has to be designed as an integral part of the and it, movie. And that really wouldn't even work. Even you're, you're exactly right. I think that like if you if you're watching a movie, like you need to experience the smell of wherever you are. Mm-hmm. But the moment a scene changes, that's going to be jarring when you're like smell like if you're mm-hmm. like god forbid you're in a diner and you smell like the smells of like grease and lovely food and stuff and then it's a mm-hmm. crime movie so it cuts to a morgue and you're just like hitting the face with decomposing corpse smell and you're like get me the f- out of here i think at the morgue they mostly smelled like formaldehyde but it's okay formaldehyde not a pleasant smell <laughs> i like just a little shot of formaldehyde before 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 dinner but you get my keeps point. <laughs> keeps me young and fresh yeah no i i, I yeah yes. yeah it's um, it's not something that can be done easily like just because of the fact that it's smell is not something that we can that the that we will ever experience an instant change right because wherever you are you walk into another one you'll smell the change but it's a it's a it's a fade yeah because you You'd still have, smell your other room. It would have to be as like a, a one take thing where you're you're following the character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and because with visuals, you can change almost in an instant. Mm-hmm. Like because well, you just you close I mean, your eyes and look the other way, and then yeah. But like with a movie, you can cut from one scene to another one, and your brain can like piece together. It can sort of. Uh, recenter itself and orient and figure out exactly what it's doing actually i would I, argue that scene changes are the least immersive part of a movie yeah it's because you you do kind of go like you're getting into a scene and then it just cuts and you're like you kind of reset right but like smells it doesn't do that because i don't see why it couldn't necessarily i mean i techni- have to see it in practice yeah technologically it's probably like a hundred years away from being even plausible, yeah because there's but... no way that it can actually be just changed on a dime right um but yeah i could see it happening i could see it happening with touch realistically um at least like temperature change and sort of atmospheric sensation um, that's, that's still the same thing because like that stuff it is air 
it's mixture and air. Right. Like you look at like the um speed of light versus the speed of temperature change. Mm-hmm. Like unless you're gonna snap freeze everyone in the fucking theater. <laughs> feels like a now that I think about it, it feels like a final destination movie waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> final destination, the ultimate audience experience. It literally just like freezes everyone <laughs> on the spot. Yeah. Like temperature doesn't change that fast unless no. you are putting people through some trauma trauma traumatic traumatic shit that's the reason like if you get hypothermia you don't want to just like put boiling water on your feet or uh sorry not hypothermia uh, frostbite you don't no oh that's why you don't have feet (laughs) (laughs) explains that okay and you don't want to rapidly cool yourself down like when you're dehydrated you don't want to rapidly drink it's it's unhealthy to the shock is, yeah yeah, it, shock it, is yeah. so you can't do that with temperature mm-hmm. um but smell is just like you've got to clear out the other smell and then bring the other one in and that would just be just like a, a monster of an exhaust fan yeah <laughs> just you'd have to have like one air change per millisecond <laughs> you'd have to have some sort of like individualized almost air hose or something that we all just put on like <laughs> anesthesia i just well i mean we all put on the doofy glasses that's true right god imagine that's we should do like a maybe i should do that in my future universe mm-hmm. thing where you walk into a movie theater and everyone's just in a space suit <laughs> <laughs> that's just complete climate control and yeah. just like it'll do that on a dime yeah there you go that's the next thing is you have to all oh, that'd be so gross Everyone buys their own. Ah, there you go. There's your next one. It's like it's the it's the real movie experience, but you have to spend money on a spacesuit mm. that you like hook in and you like to plug it in and like right. it's got all these like electronics and everything. Yep. But it can change the temperature on a dime and mm-hmm. like. And if you get a cheap one, you might get boiled. You might get boiled. You might get frozen. <laughs> it might just twitch, and when you're supposed to be getting boiled, you're getting frozen. <laughs> but at yeah. least it smells like a bakery. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. So I haven't talked about the one big gimmick yet. The big one. The one that's so big that you don't even realize it's a gimmick. Popcorn. Sound. That's true. It was yeah. introduced, yeah. So that one survived so hard that it became an integral part of the movie. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting... I think that one is because sound and video... Or sound and visual is... So just interlinked. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are smells and visuals that are interlinked. Like, if you look at a picture mm-hmm. of a steak or something, you're like, I can borderline taste it. Yep. Um, but, like, I mean, you... If you looked at a soundless screen and it was someone on a drum set, I'm staring at a drum set, and they hit a cymbal... You kind of hear that. Like, yeah. it just, it automatically does it. You see a car drive by and you automatically know what it sounds like. I mean, yeah. vaguely. Um, it, it's just something that's so intertwined mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. that I think it was just the natural development. Like, people were like, that's the thing that's missing. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. that oh, I'm watching the silent film and I can't smell it. It's mm-hmm. the first thing that people were missing is. I can kind of imagine the sound. Mm-hmm. So there's like, we'll just do it for you. All right. Counterpoint. Some of the first reviews to the, the first talkie, the jazz singer in 1927 mm-hmm. said, um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but something to the effect of um, this uh, shrill sounding experiment won't be long for our theaters. We, we don't like the sounds. It's a bad thing. Take it away. 
go. Yes, this is how old-timey movie critics talked. <laughs> Man, this is a terrible movie. This is a bad thing, and it should be tight. Uh, that's not the voice. Well, not. I, that's one that I've never tried to do before, and I'm never going to try again. Yeah, Brendan could do it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. Well, I mean, there's always wrong people. This is true. Um. But I think... Take us, for example. Yeah. Uh. I don't know if you can really account people back then reviewing, because... That goes into what people that that's people accepting change, mm-hmm. which is not something that if you look at a, the pro, the progression of an industry, you never look at the people at that time accepting change because it happened anyway. Right. You look at how human nature and human psychology has accepted it. Mm-hmm. Like it only works because human psychology has accepted it as being a thing that should happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why like progression and like morality, Matt brought up to me way too late for the episode 150 but the your whole theory your your thing is is very similar to the theory of forms which is similar to morality where there is a ultimate high morality that we seek to achieve and so the like that is something that whenever progress changed in society it moves towards some higher morality Mm -hmm. and that's because our psychology is to go towards that higher morality but like you can look at something as political as abortion, like, well, no, let's actually, let's do something that's in the past. Women's right, women's rights, women's suffrage, like the ability to vote. Psychologically, it's just like they're humans. We're all humans. We acknowledge that. Do we? It's, on a very base level, we do. Yeah. Um, and I mean that's, that's why you get those movies. Just like, us losers supports the right of the women to vote. Yeah. That was sort of the old timey voice. That was. That was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, I nailed it. Um, you you look back at that thing, and back then people were like, no, that's change. But like, mm-hmm. it happened because it's just kind of our psychological acceptance of the high morality. Mm-hmm. So changing that back to what our episodes about, our topics about, or our podcast is about, mm-hmm. um, is that these things have these things changed because that's just the the way that our brains want them to be. Okay. Whether or not like someone back in 1920 mm-hmm. was just like, I don't like this. It's because it's talking. It's just because it's different. And it's just mm-hmm. these complaining idiots that don't want change. Yeah. But psychologically, we did want it yeah. because it was something that was missing in our brain when we were watching these silent films. Mm-hmm. I had this whole grand point I was going to build up to of, yeah, sound and visual. They're they're inextricably linked like the, we talked about this on our tension episode. You know, you get a certain level of tension from your visual because the visual is the like the rational processing, but then the sound is the instinctual processing. Those are mm-hmm. kind of the two primary driving senses. Those are the only two senses where if someone's missing them, you consider them disabled. Yeah. Um, and I had this whole thing I was going to build up to, and then I was like, wait, movies are just like a simulation of a play, which is words and visuals. And I was like, okay, it's just, I don't have a point. <laughs> but I got there. Yeah. I, I brought in like a whole bunch of stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's why. That's why sound exists. Yeah. It's because I think it, it's just... It was just... meant to exist. Yes. And I think that's the reason IMAX and 3D even have have progressed is because it's just... Uh, it's a more real version. Like, you can see older movies and there's that blurriness of just bad resolution Mm -hmm. and your mind doesn't like that Mm -hmm. so we seek more realistic resolution 
I don't know what resolution humans see in. Like, there's a science behind it. I know mm-hmm. that there is a number um, because it's how much light your retinas can take. Right. Um, because there is a diameter to light product particles, so only a certain amount can get into your face. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see at a certain resolution, we want to get to that resolution. And IMAX and IMAX is the way to get to that. And, yep. our, and we live in 3D. We have this mm-hmm. depth perception, which is why 3D exists. But, like... I think smell is such a subconscious thing for most of the time mm-hmm. that it's not something that when you're watching it, you're like, that's what's missing. Right. It's something that will eventually be added when they're able to bring well, it subconsciously. I mean, because we're used to watching movies without smells. That's true. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's like when it happens, people are gonna be like, oh, this is terrible. But like, if they can do it subconsciously, that smell is a subconscious thing. Mm-hmm. So in real and when in real life smell is very subconscious. So when movies happen, they need to be subconscious because the movies need to be able to emulate what we experience in real life. Yeah. Until you walk into a my my house and it's just getting smacked in the face with apple cinnamon in October, like that is <laughs> right. That's an instant change of smell. Yes. But even like, well, I mean even when I've got my apple cinnamon thing, I'm obsessed with apple cinnamon it's, only in fall. It's weird. Um when I'm when I have an apple cinnamon candle burning in my kitchen and I go to my room and I come back out, I do get hit immediately in the face with it. Mm-hmm. And I love it, but it disappears into my subconscious mere seconds after. Right. And it's just because your brain just kind of like files that away in the subconscious. Yeah. Smells a it's a it's a lesser sense. Yeah. And I think taste will be the next one no because <laughs> taste is very very selective like right. only at very specific times right taste um, is it's probably the most conscious i'm going to taste this and i'm going to make processing information about what it tastes like yes yeah um so yeah i think if i'm so what was your original question uh why have most of these things died out as gimmicks but why have imax and to a lesser extent 3d and well to a greater extent sound persisted i think it is because i I think i think i've kind of found where i want to be it's yeah we naturally want to watch something that emulates what we what we experience in real life Mm -hmm. we want our dreams to feel real exactly back into the last one yeah like things that things that are are imperfect imperfect additions to that jostle us awake from our little shared dream experience you ever smelled something in a dream no there you go you ever tasted something in a dream I don't remember. I don't either. I don't think that, I don't think that those are senses. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. prove me wrong. Tell me if that's a thing that happens. You're wrong. I'm going to fight you in the comments. Um, but you're looking it up. Um, apparently it is possible, but rare Yeah. to taste or smell in dreams. So yeah, there we go. It just, it just filters into the, the dream world thing that we want to experience. We want to go into this dream world that emulates our real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like you said, like imperfect things jostle us from our little dream worlds. And mm-hmm. we're just like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Even to step back to a greater extent, that's why like bad editing and mm-hmm. imperfections in the sound design, re new mutants can take us out of a movie and harm that experience. It's because it, it, jostles you awake for a moment and in that half awakeness you, you realize you're watching the movie second, again yeah like, yeah don't put me back i don't want to be aware <laughs> yeah back all into right. the matrix take me the, give me yeah. the blue pill <laughs> all right yeah shall we i think we probably better shall right. i think we got there yeah 
Uh, thanks everyone for listening. This episode of Just Us Losers. You can find us in this podcast in particular on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. And if you caught any single one of individual of those, then I'm not talking fast enough and it'll be faster okay. next time. Let me know in the comments. Which one did you hear? Uh, we're on YouTube where we'll do little condensed 15 odd minute versions of the actual conversation itself. Um, send those to your friends, let them know that, Hey, there's these two idiots on YouTube and they talk about things. You'd like it. Um, feels like they'd come off as kind of insulting. If you said, Hey, there's these two idiots on YouTube. They talk about things. You'd like it. Uh, something along the lines of, Hey, remember that conversation we had about movie theater experience and why IMAX is a thing. Here's this like episode that they made an interesting point. Yes. Don't just send us unsolicited to people. Let's see. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, just us losers. We don't do a whole lot there. Um, if I had more time on my hands and were writing more things, I'd put them there temporarily. And then eventually on the website, which will be up and we'll let you know when that happens. Uh, we're on Twitter at justice losers pod where our social media team doesn't let Preston go off on his rants. And it's kind of disappointing. Um, I've never asked. I could probably ask. Yeah. Has any enemy of the show, Rob Liefeld, done anything rant-worthy recently? Oh, so much. Uh, Let's see. We're on Instagram at Just Us Losers Pod. That's where a lot of the magic happens um, because our social media people like Instagram, apparently. Um, I always thought it was for children, but that's okay. We're all children here, I guess, in some sense. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's where we got our solicited some uh, episode topics from people, and that's where this particular episode topic came from, although I think Carter probably told us that one in person because. No, it was on. Oh, it was on the it was on the thing. That's cool. How about that? Real honest to goodness fan interaction from our employee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's gonna need to stop. Uh, we have a Gmail, justusloserspod at gmail dot com. Um, if you have experienced a smell-o-vision movie, I kind of want to hear about it. What was that like? Or a aromarama or odorama? One of the ones where they, you smell. Tell me about it. What was that like? Was it? Did it make it more immersive, or was it just kind of weird and took you out of it? Um, did it work well for like a particular kind of movie where you in, are in sort of that meta headspace and you're just kind of along for the ride and having fun? I don't know. Tell me. Tell me, please, please tell me. Justasloserspot at gmail dot com. <laughs> uh, we've got a Patreon where you can money us. I don't know the thing uh, for that. <laughs> Just us losers at patreon.com. Yep. That's how that works. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, what are we talking about next week? Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh! I should probably finish watching it. Yeah. Wanna do that Sunday? Yeah. Alright. There's us, just planning out our life. Um, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender. We're gonna be, this is gonna be the, the first of couple episodes kind of in that realm um i'm really looking forward to it preston's really looking forward to it andrew's really looking forward to it you're really looking forward to it if i said everything yep okay thanks for listening bye bye